for all those who feel called to build something bigger than themselves, but have no idea or representation as to how to bring it to pass. This podcast is for you. Let's figure it out together. Get ready. Let's build. Four, three, two, one. Everything that you've been through up until this point has helped you create your why. And when you have a strong why, nothing will stop you. That's What's up, fam? It's your friend Princeton Parker here, the founder and host of Building Without a Blueprint. You know, I want to thank God for life and love, and I want to thank you for listening. Man, I hope that your new year is still going well. I really do. I hope that as we close out January, that you are still standing with the level of tenacity and love and focus that you came into this year with. Because I believe in my heart that everything that you set out for this year to be and that you set out to achieve in this year is still possible. But what I am certain of with that is that there's already stuff happening. Like there's already stuff that is going on to test your faith and your patience. And I don't know about you, but 2019 has already tried it. (laughs) There have been some things that have happened in this month already of this year where I'm like, okay, 2019, I see what you trying to do and how you trying to look. (laughs) Like You trying to top 2018 on the how much could possibly happen to make me go crazy. But I want you to know that you can still make it. I don't want the things that have happened to steal your focus and to steal your belief in what is possible for this year. And so I wanted to pause in this moment to share a sermon with you that I preached within the last two months of of last year. And the message was called Fight the Right Fight. I think that if we're going to sustain ourselves on the long term of building without a blueprint, we've got to know what is our responsibility and what is not our responsibility. Hmm. Sounds familiar. Sounds like what we just got through talking about in those two episodes as I was unpacking lessons on life, love, and trauma from A Star is Born, if you've been rocking with us through those episodes. And so I want to kind of continue that, except I want to highlight it theologically from a preaching space about how it is so important for your mental health, for your focus, and for your peace as you're building without a blueprint to be able to be in a place where you know that ain't my fight. And you're also able to know that is my fight. And when you dedicate all of your energy and your time and your efforts to what is your fight, and when you're able to peaceably release what is not your fight, that is when you can open yourself up to the victory. So my prayer for you this year is that you get your priorities in order, your responsibilities in order, and that you stop wasting your energy. Come on. Can I get an amen on that? Is anybody else? Oh, oh, I feel it coming up. Is there anybody in here? That's what I say when I feel when I feel preaching. Is there anybody in here <laughs> that is saying that this is going to be the year where you don't waste energy? Mm. Oh, hey, glory. I feel that. <laughs> Uh, enjoy the sermon, y'all. It's called 
fight the right fight. And I'll be back to talk to you after. Our response will be that we will rejoice and will be glad in it. Thank you that you've already done the work. You're just looking for people who will receive it. And so we say we receive it right now. We receive the engrafted word in our hearts. We receive your healing. We receive revelation. We receive your truth. And it is so in Jesus' name. Somebody shout amen. And amen in the house of the Lord. Ha, glory to God. Hey, hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Ah, glory to God. The Spirit of the Lord is here. It's already here. It's already here. It's already here. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. I, I love it because Thanksgiving just passed. And when you are bringing a dish to your relative's house, it is a courteous thing for them to have the oven warm already when you get there so that you can just slide in what you brought and, and bring it to Tim. Uh, I don't like to go places where I have to wait for the oven to preheat and I gotta wait for my food to cook. I've come to let you know that when you walked into the sanctuary, the oven was preheated with the fire of God. And if you're ready to cook, he'll set fire to every broken piece a part of you so that you can have what you need in Jesus. We're going to 2 Chronicles, the 20th chapter, and we're going to spend time there. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and we're going to spend time there. I'm going to do a bit of reading, and then I'm going to preach to you this morning in Jesus' name. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I'm going to do a bit of reading so that we will hear this account as the Bible has recorded it. And then we're going to labor in what it is saying to us today as it relates to our thanksgiving, as it relates to our pursuit, and as it relates to our victory. Second Chronicles, the 20th chapter. Praise God's holy name. Verse 1, it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab, the children of Ammon, and with them other beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side, Syria. And behold, they be in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Engedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. I want you to take note of that. Jehoshaphat's natural reaction was to be afraid, but his decision was to set himself to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thy hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? Art thou not God who did drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gave it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever? And they that dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil come upon us as the sword, judgment or pestilence or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house. And we cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help, hear and help. And now, behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who thou wouldst not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. 
Behold, I say how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? I love the Bible. It'll preach itself if you let it. For we have no might against this great company that comes against us. Neither know we what to do. Oh, my goodness. But he says what? Our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph. Upon that man named Jehazel came the spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem and thou king Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. <laughs> For the battle, I feel it already, is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them, and behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. <laughs> Set yourselves. Stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Let's read how this ends up, all right? And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korhites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so ye shall be established. Believe in his prophets, so ye shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord. And that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord sent ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah. And they were smitten for the children of Ammon and Moab stood against the inhabitants of Mount Seir utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude and behold, there were dead bodies fallen to the earth. Watch this. And none escaped. Let me do one more because this will preach itself. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, watch this, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days in gathering the spoil because it was so much. Oh my goodness. I'm going to stop there. Let's go all the way back to verse 15. He said, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus said the Lord unto you, be not afraid by reason of the great multitude. Don't be afraid of how big it is. 
Don't be afraid of how substantive it is. Don't be afraid of how intimidating it is. Why? Not because you're strong. Not because you're going to get some kind of supernatural Hulk-like strength. Not because you've had uh, combat training. The reason why you are not to be afraid is because what? The battle is not, but it is God's. I wish you'd repeat after me. I want to preach to you from this subject. Fight the right fight. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Find someone near you and just share that with you. Just say, hey, before you get exhausted, fight the right fight. <laughs> I don't have a ton of time, but I feel this in my spirit. Uh, fight the right fight. Fight the fight the right fight. Fight the right fight. Fight the right fight. Um, by nature of the human experience, all of us are fighting something. It is immature to believe that it is possible to be in life as a human being and not be fighting something. If you're not fighting something, I would suggest that perhaps you're not as alive as you believe that you are. To be human means that I'm wrestling something. I'm wrestling a system. I'm wrestling a need. I'm wrestling some potential, some piece of lack. I'm wrestling an idea. I'm wrestling an, uh, a generation. I'm wrestling some kind of problem. To be human means that I'm consistently involved in combat. But one of the misnomers that we have as human beings and even more so as Christians is that just because I'm fighting means I'm being productive. There's this idea that we have that just because we are fighting and we are Christian means that I'm doing something that's going to gain and get me headway. It is this idea that most people believe that to be busy means to be productive. And that's not necessarily the case. You can be busy and not necessarily be doing anything that is contributing to the goal that you have in mind. I know a lot of busy people who have not made any more money than they made three years ago. I know a lot of people who are hard to get a hold of but still have not reached any dream that they have ever set out. I know a lot of people who seem for their calendars to be full but they don't have influence over anybody. They don't lead anything. They haven't accomplished any large goals. Neither have they, uh, neither have they invested in anybody for them to grow. So being busy doesn't equate to production. In fact, you might need to interrogate why we're busy because sometimes we're busy not because we're productive, but because we believe that our busyness will make us feel better and more grand about ourselves. Sometimes the busiest people are the ones who don't know who they are. They believe that if they just stay busy enough, it will infer some sort of identity. So just because you're busy doesn't mean you are productive. Conversely, just because you are fighting doesn't mean that you are fighting towards something. I've come to submit to you that today, as we celebrate Thanksgiving and move in our 1030 service where the theme today is gratefulness, gratitude. It is interesting because uh, to be a Christian means that it lends itself to this idea that I know I'm supposed to be thankful and I know I'm supposed to praise God. But if I'm honest, and I'll speak for me because I know you're super saved. I'm just saved enough. I'm, I'm getting more saved as the days go by. Uh, but for, for those of you who are super saved, you might not be able to relate. But when you're just saved enough, like I, you don't really feel like praising all the time. Uh, I know that 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 you you see me on the keyboard and how much we yell and scream and you just think he he must want to do that all the time. But but some of that stuff is easy. It's easy when you make a lot of noise. You can just you can just put up the volume and 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 bang the music really loud and, and try to make up something. Doesn't mean that you really feel like praising. I I don't always feel like praising God. I don't always feel like I have things to praise God for. And the question uh, that we must ask in those moments is how do I continue to 
praise when I don't feel like praising. Now, this is important because in our text today, we're looking at a, a place called Judah. Everybody say Judah. All right. In the history of Israel, the people who God formed and then delivered out of Egypt, right? He finally brings them to the point where they have the land that was given to them. Now, what they did was they split it into the northern kingdom, but that was the larger part, and the southern kingdom that was the smaller part. All right. The land, I feel good already, the land in itself, when you looked at Israel in its totality, was already a very small place. In fact, it is very interesting that this reveals the magnitude of God, that he would choose to bring his greatest blessings out of a place that was small. Oh, goodness, I don't have time to stay there. I wish you'd know that God oftentimes shows his miraculous power by choosing to bring big things out of small places. Israel uh, is small when you put the whole thing together. But when you split it up into northern and southern, Judah was a small part of an already small nation. But we must interrogate that though they were small, the name Judah means what? Thank you. I've got some Bible students here. The name Judah means praise. So now that means that everything that we study about the southern kingdom is not just about the history of Israel, but perhaps we can tease into it to a greater degree to look at it and say that what God does in this nation teaches us about praise. I don't have the time to explain it. Uh, we, we're not only looking at what the southern kingdom means for the history of Israel. We're looking that because their name means praise, perhaps we can interrogate the dealings that go on in this place called Judah, the southern nation of Israel or the southern part of the nation of Israel, that we could possibly mean that maybe they're teaching us about praise. So when we come to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the southern kingdom is being ruled by a king named Jehoshaphat. Everybody say Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is listed as one of the kings. Now, over the course of Judah's history, they've got some good kings and some bad ones. Jehoshaphat is on the good kings list. He's going to show us in this demonstration how to maintain praise for God in a difficult situation. Well, what was the difficult situation? Jehoshaphat has his reign at this moment, and there is word that comes to him that says, not one, not two, but three nations have just declared war on you. So first of all, we must remember that, uh, didn't I just tell you Israel was a small place? Didn't I also just share with you that Judah was a small place in an already small place? So the king of the small place, that means praise gets word that three substantial, developed, well-resourced armies have declared war on your small place in a small place that means praise. So Jehoshaphat faced a difficult situation, right? Our identity is praise, but we must maintain praise under the pressure of war. Let me say it again. Jehoshaphat is going to teach us how to maintain an identity of praise under the pressure of war. I don't know if you've ever been at the place where things bigger than you challenged your small place. What do you do when your child 
gets caught up in some stuff um, and now is wrapped up in a legal system that's already built against people of color. And not only is your child young, but they, they, they don't even know how to navigate their small life, let alone how to navigate prison. And now you, like Jehoshaphat, are responsible for leading and maintaining an identity under the pressure of war. I don't know if you've ever run a business and you did everything you could to prepare for the business when you launched it. And you had just enough to get it off the ground. And once it was off the ground, here comes health codes. Here comes legal tape. Here comes protocols and stuff that, that you couldn't have prepared for if you tried. And you sit there and your first thought is, how am I going to do this? I couldn't have even known that this was on the other side of this. But now I'm responsible for maintaining the identity while under the pressure of war. I, I, I don't know if you've ever been in, in that place where you're a couple and marriage is fantastic, but nothing prepares you for the loss of a child, particularly one that hasn't had the chance to enter into the world yet. And now you must maintain an identity under the pressure of war. Jehoshaphat's issue is, number one, there's so many of them and so few of us. Number two, they are trained. Our identity is praise. We are conditioned for the choir-thon. Not war in Syria, fam. Our specialty is we bring Kurt Franklin out and he dance with the mic stand. That is what we do. Three, Jehoshaphat is under the pressure, watch this, of not just experiencing it, but having to lead people through it. That's a different pressure. See, it's easy when all you get to do is figure out how you feel about it and complain. It's a different pressure when you got to figure out how does everybody make it through this. This is why I believe that when the Bible says, touch not my anointed, do my prophets no harm. It's not just because God believes that the anointed, quote unquote, or those that he have called are in some elite VIP group. That's not it. The reason why you don't put your mouth on them is because you don't know the pressure that it is to sit in the seat where you have to fix what everybody complains about. You don't know what it is to have to correct what everybody's going to moan about, but you've got to sit up at night going, okay, God, everybody else is crying, but on Sunday morning, they're going to be looking to me to figure out joy. They're going to be looking to me to figure out an answer. They're going to be looking to me to figure out something to do next. And Jehoshaphat says, I'm not prepared for how to experience my own emotions and develop a plan for theirs too. Because... I'm just a king of a small place in a small place that means praise. And the Bible records that even though Jehoshaphat is a believer, 
his first reaction is fear. His understanding of God does not eliminate his ability to be afraid. Can I challenge you theologically to say, this is me personally, I've heard a lot of this idea, right, that fear and faith cancel out each other. I disagree. Because the Bible is clear that Jehoshaphat is a man of faith. But it makes it a point to record that his first emotion is fear. So what makes him a man of faith is not that he is not afraid. What makes him a man of faith is the decision that he makes after acknowledging that he's afraid. Can I work through this a little bit more? The Bible does not stray away from acknowledging that though Jehoshaphat is king, though he is a worshiper, though he is a man of God, he still is susceptible to human emotion and the one that he experiences is fear. I don't know what I'm going to do. They are more than me. They are more than us. They are trained better than us. I'm afraid. But what makes him a man of faith is that he's able to acknowledge the fact that he's afraid, but still have full command of his decisions. The Bible says that he calls the entire southern kingdom together. And he says, hey fam, we're going to pray and we're going to fast. We're going to pray and we're going to fast because I don't know what to do. He does what all of us need to do in order to be able to maintain praise under the pressure of war. And that is this. Jehoshaphat paused to get clarity. If you're taking notes, I want you to start there. Jehoshaphat paused to get clarity. Everybody say clarity. In this season of my life, everything I believe in God for is in this weird middle season. I was in a, uh, was a therapy session and she said, <laughs> she said, and I was like, you're absolutely right. She said, you desperately want to have one check mark on all these things. You desperately want to be able to say that at least I know this is good and finished. And I said, you're absolutely right. Because I'm in a season where I'm looking at every, just everything. Don't you ever, you ever been in a place where it don't nothing make no sense? Like, like nothing seems to be there. You're like, I just, I, I don't have any closure here. I don't know if that's on or off. I don't have any direction here. I don't know when this is going to jump off. And I know I'm supposed to do this eventually, but good Lord ain't giving me no timeline. And, I, and, 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 I'm, and I'm lost, right? And I begin to go on this personal search to say, God, I'm in a season where I know that everything has so much at stake. So I'm afraid to do anything at all. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> where you're just like, I, I don't know, do I stay at this job? Do I quit? <laughs> do I text her? Do I not text her? Do I show up? Do I not show up? Do, do I, 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 and so, so you just point where you're like, okay, I ain't gonna do nothing, fam. Cause anything I do might be live, it's either gonna be breakthrough or complete death. So I begin to go on this, per, I, I begin to go on this search personally, right? And I said, God, this is the season where I can't move unless you let me know this is the step. And he was like, perfect, that's exactly where I want you. After that, um, one of my heroes, Dr. Matthew Stevenson out of Chicago started teaching on clarity. And then Pastor Jerry started teaching on wisdom and clarity. And then the Lord showed me how this relates to praise in Second Chronicles chapter 20. 
the reason why many of us cannot praise God in difficult situations is because we've lost our clarity. And when you don't have clarity, you will waste your energy fighting the wrong fight. Jehoshaphat would have lost his identity as a praiser if he did not have clarity about which fight he was supposed to fight. If he had gone on his emotions alone without clarity, he would have told his armies, all right, we need to go into combat training. I'm about to buy 75,000 more weapons. I'm going to send everybody. We're not going to sleep for 10 hours. You're going to get out there. I want you running and I want you jumping. And in his haste, as a response to his fear, he would have set his men up to be annihilated because he decided from his fear, not from his clarity. The reason why many of us are so exhausted is because all of our decisions are from what we feel about what we're up against instead of the clarity that comes from seeking God. So you make decisions out of haste. Relationships out of haste. You make judgments out of haste. You make business calls out of haste. You buy stuff you ain't got no business buying out of haste. You go back to situations that aren't good for you out of haste. You start preparing for stuff that God hadn't even called you to out of haste. You start to take on new responsibilities out of haste. Why? Because you responded to how you felt about what you were up against instead of taking time to get clarity. Somebody shout, get clarity. Get clarity, get clarity, get clarity, get clarity, get clarity. Because if you don't, you will fight the wrong fight. Here's a couple reasons why we fight the wrong fight. Reason number one, I've got to move through these quickly. We fight the wrong fight because we have not made peace with our limitations. Write that down. We fight the wrong fight because we have not made peace with our limitations. Some of us want to be God so bad. Hmm? No, 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 I don't. I love God. I know he's God. No, because if you knew he's God, you would embrace the fact that you are not. You can tell somebody wants to be God. Not sometimes by how arrogant they are, not because they think they know everything, but because they refuse to stop trying. They feel like they got to do everything and be in everything. They got something to say about everything. They got an idea for everything. They don't ever say, I'm not sure. They don't ever say, I don't think that's for me. They don't ever say, I don't have enough for that. And these could be well-intentioned people. These could be nice people, but they believe they're God because they demonstrate it by the fact that they have to do everything. Watch this. People who overextend themselves can't say no. It's because you think you're God. We fight the wrong fight. Because we have not made peace with our limitations. Number two, I gotta move fast. We fight the wrong fight because we have internalized pressure. Look at what Jehoshaphat does with his pressure. He acknowledges, whoa, this is kind of big. There's a lot. And I am responsible. But I'm not about to internalize that and make that let me and let that make me go get drunk. Or go stress out about what we're about to do next. Or go over plan and over budget and overspend. He said, no, 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 no. This is pressure and it's a lot. So I'm going to process that and seek God. So many of us are fighting the wrong fight because we internalize pressure. Let me help you. Whatever 
thing you are dealing with, you got to remember it's not yours. Whatever pressure you're under, you got to remember it's not yours. Can I tell you how much pressure I'm under all the time working for Disney and I remember I don't own that place? Can I tell you how often I go to bed like, oh man, I wish and oh my goodness, how am I going to do this, Lord? And I got to, oh, it's so much. And then I remember I own a piece of the stock, not the whole thing. So I'm going to go to bed and try again tomorrow. Them gates going to open whether or not I send this in on time or not. <laughs> That's hilarious. We've internalized pressure. This stuff ain't yours. Watch this. Reason number three why we fight the wrong fight. We believe in God, but are uncomfortable submitting to him. We believe. But we believe that God is a magical accessory for our will to be done. He is the supernatural agent that helps our dreams come true which means that we dictate the direction and he simply is the supplier of all things necessary to get us there. This is why the Lord allows us to get to things that are beyond our control because it is only at the moment where you are looking at three armies coming against a small kingdom in a small place that you think, hey, I, I, I might need God. And Jehoshaphat is filling all that in. and he says we need clarity Jehoshaphat begins to pray he used prayer as his approach not because he wanted to avoid conflict but because he wanted clarity okay I want you to write that down we use prayer not to avoid conflict and you could almost substitute prayer with all matters of faith right I would even say we use spirituality right I would loop that theologically all together we use spirituality, principles of faith, not to avoid conflict, but to get clarity. Most people believe that your religion, as you've been taught, particularly Christianity, is to pacify you. That's not the goal. The goal of the word of God and of following God is not to make me back back and never approach anything. It is to make sure that I have clarity about which ones to approach and which ones not to. You will always fight the wrong fight when you haven't done the work to get clarity. Fighting without clarity will leave you exhausted. It will leave you exposed and it will leave you unfulfilled. Write that down. When you fight without clarity, it will leave you exhausted. They would have been exhausted trying to make headway against three armies had they not had clarity about which fight they were supposed to fight. Two, it will leave you exposed. When you fight without clarity, it will show you all of your weak spots because you have opened yourself up to fight in your own strength. So you will be exposed for how much you really don't have when you fight the wrong fight. And number three, it will leave you unfulfilled. Here's why you need clarity. You need clarity for your expectations. I'm going to have to teach this in another sermon. But can I tell you that one of the reasons why many of us are so disenfranchised by the church and by God is because of broken expectation. 
most people leave the church not because they struggled with theology, right? Not because they hated the concept of Jesus. Not some people, you know, who just couldn't wrap their head around the Bible. They weren't in a space where they could ask challenging questions and get well-thought answers. But the lion's share of people leave because of broken expectation. But what's interesting about that is I got this revelation from God. He said, Prince, you're unfulfilled because I told you to have expectations. But you got confused about which expectations I told you to have. In my word, I've conditioned you to be able to have a clear expectation for what I will do. But I never told you to set expectations for how I would do it. My word is clear about what I will do. But my sovereignty allows me to reserve the right to control how I will do it. So you will always be unfulfilled when you paste your expectations of how onto God's sovereignty. And then want to be mad at him for breaking expectations he never told you to have. Because if you knew the how, number one, it would make you God. But number two, if you knew how, then you wouldn't be formed in the process while I was doing the what. So the reason why you need clarity is because all you know is what God said. You don't know how he's going to bring it to pass. All you know is that God said he would heal. You don't know how he's going to. All you know is that God said he would favor you. You don't know how he's going to do that. All you know is that God said he was coming back soon. You don't know how and when. And so that is why in the meantime, my relationship with him gets strengthened. And what we've got to stop doing is convincing people that because they're filled with the Holy Ghost, they can align their expectations or whatever they want. This is why Jehoshaphat says, hey, listen, I know you're going to do this, but we got to get clarity as to how so that our expectations are not broken. Because the product of broken expectations will be killed faith. I want you to write that down. On the other end of broken expectations is killed or broken faith. Man, I have more word than I have time for. Y'all still with me this morning? God told us to expect the what, not the how. I expect the what based on his word but I have to pursue God to discern the how. That's why I pray as hard as I do. That's why I worship. That's why I spend time with him because I need him to discern how he's going to do this. And I need him to help me discern what my role is in the unfolding of his plan. Okay? So you need clarity. Clarity begins, let me help you with the how or else I would have been incomplete. Let me help you with the how. How do you get clarity? Clarity begins with muting all extra voices, okay? Muting, that's a volume word, like you press mute on your television, okay? By muting all extra voices, okay? Many of us cannot hear God not because he's not speaking, but because his voice is in competition with all the millions of other things in our lives, right? 
And before you think about people, I'm talking about voices in its totality. The Bible calls Satan the prince of the powers of the air, of all media that transpires, right? And so that's why we have to look at it. It's not just people who you're engaged with, but sometimes we're consulting uh, extra books, right? And I'm, I'm the chiefest reader. I, I will get a book about everything. But sometimes when we've added all this extra, like we've added extra schools of thought, right? And social media and the news, and people, right? And past people used to hang out with and all those things. And then we say, well, God, I wish you would speak and give me clarity. Step one begins with muting the extra. Now, it is not just about things that you consume. You also must mute extra things that you do that don't allow you to pause enough to think right. Let me help you. The reason why sex before marriage is a sin it's not because God hates sex. He invented it. One of the reasons I believe why fornication is sin is because sex ruins clarity. When I'm engaged with you sexually, I will see things about you that are not there. And I will choose not to see things about you that are there that I should have taken as red flags to not engage you from the beginning. So if you're still having sex with someone, but praying that God would deliver you from the relationship, you don't want to be delivered. Is that too much for nine o'clock? Because sex ruins clarity. You got stuff that's so good, you don't know what your name is. Let alone what to do in this relationship. Let's go deeper. Because some of y'all are so saved because that wasn't your sin. So you, let me go the other way. Let's touch Thanksgiving. Some of us need to mute how much we eat. <laughs> she said, I'm working on that now. God bless you. Because we consume, my mentor, Jonathan Sprinkles, um, out of Houston told me this. He said, Princeton, you really got to start considering your diet. He said, because your stomach is your second brain. And he said, the reason why you can't work productively past noon is because of what you've consumed by 10. So you've set yourself up to lose a day of production because you didn't invest. He said, and I'll never forget this. Uh, and, and Brandy Harvey said this. She said, you have to eat in accordance with how you want to feel. So that means I don't decide what to eat and then hope I feel good. I decide, how do I want to feel at seven? What do I have left to do today? So I'm going to eat in accordance with that. Why? Because I need clarity. I'm a leader. I can't be full of grease and trying to lead you because it's going to mess with my clarity. I'm going to be so sleepy. And when I'm sleepy, listen, folks, y'all see me as nice. When I'm sleepy or irritated, I get real short. I get dismissive. I could be condescending. I got to have clarity, fam. So I could be the nice person, the nice prince that you know me to be. So y'all don't kick me out. I just joined. So we just, we need to keep this honeymoon thing as long as we can get it. Okay. You have to have clarity. Spending your money will ruin your clarity. I want you to, part of the how is you need to make a list of things that you do compulsively that get in the way of you being able to make sound decisions. That's your homework. Part of the how is being able to call those things out. And we don't do that in Christianity. It's not just about sin, because some of this stuff, right? Obviously fornication is sin. But a lot of this stuff is not sin. The Bible says lay aside every 
weight in sin. You see, there's some things that are not sinful, but they just ruin my clarity. And watch this. There are some things, let me give you a little hope, <laughs> that won't be denied forever. There are some things just, let, let, let me chill on this for now. Let me, let me put some reins around this for about three months while I get my head straight and figure out what God wants me to do next. And then I can open myself up back to going to this place or back to hanging out with this person or back to investing in this. So you have to mute the extras. Number two, you have to amplify the important voice, right? So we're talking about clarity. I'm using volume language, volume, volume, sound language, right? Sound language about muting first, sound language about amplify or to turn it up would be the easier way to say that. You have to turn up the important voices. You have to turn up the important voices. Turn up the important in your life. Here's another part of your how. Who do you have in your life that loves you but doesn't need you? Let me ask it again. Who do you have in your life that loves you but doesn't need you? Because people who love you but don't need you will not be afraid about what telling the truth to you might cost them. Say it again. People who love you, but don't need you, will not be afraid of what telling you the truth might cost them. Many of us, our circles are what they are because we've surrounded ourselves with people who need us. They need our company, they need our time, they need our attention. So they're going to tell you whatever you need to hear for you to stay around. But people who love you and don't need you will be like, hey, you tripping. And you'll come to them looking for somebody to take your side against the other person. They'll be like, no, nah, you was the one that was messed up in that. And you're going to be mad at me, but I don't care. Can I tell you that's why Bishop is who he is? Because Bishop knows he don't need near one of y'all. So he'll tell you the truth. In love. There have been many times he has sat me down and said, hey, you need to think about this. Mm -hmm. the same mentor I just mentioned earlier <laughs> I love him because he's the same he's somebody who believes in my potential but is not a fan of mine it's a difference he's not a fan he, he doesn't have to hype me up to make himself feel better I'll probably send him this sermon and it'll be like oh yeah that was cute <laughs> now let's figure out I just did that I can't wait to send this to him so he'll hear this <laughs> and I love it because those kind of people tell you the truth. That's how you get clarity. He told me this, I'll never forget it. He told me this a month ago. He said, Princeton, you will learn in this season of your life that letting go is a discipline. I was so mad he told me that. I was like, ew, <laughs> that's the worst advice ever. He's supposed to tell me to hold on, keep believing everything works out. <laughs> he was like, nope, you'll learn that letting go is a discipline. Why? Because he has that part of me to tell me the truth. And that will amplify my clarity. You cannot, watch this, you also, man, I'm out of time. You also cannot continue to only ask advice from people who are struggling on your level. Here's why. Because people who are struggling just like you can provide affirmation, but they will not always provide resolution. You can help me not feel alone, but at the end of the day, we're still struggling. It doesn't mean they can't provide helpful tools, things that they're dealing with, but it means that at some point, I need to be engaged with somebody who can push me further than where I am right now. And you need both. 
You need the people in your life who say, yeah, I'm going through that too. And then you need people in your life who say, I've been through that. You need both. Both are going to help you with clarity. <sighs> okay, I'm really running out of time. Let me share this with you. One of the biggest barriers to your clarity is your silence. Jehoshaphat could have turned back to his kingly quarters, went back in his own little hut, and said, I ain't going to tell nobody I'm afraid. What would they say if they knew the king was afraid? He said, no, y'all going to know how I feel about this so that you can partner with me in prayer. You cannot receive clarity for what you are unwilling to bring to the surface. God cannot heal what you don't first reveal. So here are the how. Clarity begins with muting the extra. You need to make a list of the things that you do compulsively, the things you do often that are interrupting your ability to think straight. Number two, you need to amplify the important voices, right? So one of the practical hows is I want you to take a scenario to one of those people in your life that loves you but doesn't need you. So a great example, to get better as a speaker and preacher, I will send my mentor a sermon and say, here was my approach, here was what I thought, here's how I prepared for that, right? Let's talk through it. You have to be engaged with that at least once a week so that you can interrogate your way of dealing with things. Such so a homework assignment. First of all, find out who that person is in your life. And second of all, don't go to them saying, fix all my problems. That's not why God has them there. You go to them saying, help me figure out where I went right or wrong in my strategy. Okay? That's what Joseph had did. They're praying, right? Last but not least, number three, you need space to process both. So the first, figure out what's extra in your life. Cut that for a season. Figure out what kind of spaces you go to to get clarity, right? Are there resources on YouTube that I can find that speak about this issue? If I'm having problems parenting, if I'm having problems with a business, right? If I'm having problems with this, where can I go to amplify that this is somebody who's been through it, who's applied it, right? And I'm going to start learning some of that knowledge. Or I'm going to go spend some time with somebody who loves me but doesn't need me. I'm going to say, look, this was my strategy. Tell me how I'm doing with this. Did I think about this right? Could I have done this? Like, did I have this conversation with her right? Should I go back again and do it right? And then you need space where it's just you and God to process both of those. Now it's not about anybody else or anything else. It's about you going, okay, God, speak to me. What does your word say? Here's, here's where I think I went right, and wh what am I going to do, and, and here's how. Okay, and I believe, and, and I'm going to get ready to do what you say. Jehoshaphat is praying, and this man named Jehazel, who loves him but doesn't need him, stands up and says, Hey, king, listen, here's what you need to know. This battle, I'm going to preach, then we go, is not yours, but it belongs to God. The clarity that Jehoshaphat needed was which fight was his and which fight was God's. Jehazel says, listen, the people are God's fight. Your praise is your fight. 
All right, I promise I'm done if you just shout at me through here. He says, the people are God's issue. Your praise is your issue. How it's going to work out is God's issue. Your faith is your issue. What they're going to do is God's issue. How you stand confident while they're threatening you is your fight. I've come to preach to you this. In order to keep on praising God through the worst situations, you've got to be able to live with the ability to say these four words. That's not my fight. <laughs> That's all I came to preach you this morning. The biggest tool that you can use to remain grateful in the worst situations is to know what is yours and what is not. And so all I came to tell you is for the rest of this week and the rest of this month and the rest of this year and the next year, you are going to have the greatest praise that you could have ever imagined because you praise God differently when you're lighter. You praise God differently when you're freer. You praise God differently when you're not under pressure. You praise God differently when you're not fighting stuff that ain't your business. You praise God differently because it's like a weight has been taken off of you. Lift your hands all over the sanctuary. I speak over your life right now that every weight that you've been carrying that is not your responsibility is about to be broken in the name of Jesus Christ. I release you from caring about what people think. I release you from caring about people's judgments. I release you from self-hate. I release you from bearing the weight of other people's decisions. I release you from thinking that your kids are your responsibility. I release you from thinking that you're going to hold this relationship. I release you from thinking that this business is yours. I release you from unnecessary pressure. I release you from sleepless nights. I cancel it in the name of Jesus because it is not your fight. Oh, just speak that over yourself. It's not my fight. It's not my fight. It's not my fight. For the battle is, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. The battle is not mine, but the battle belongs to God. These bills belong to God. These children belong to God. This business belongs to God. My identity belongs to God. This church belongs to God. Everything I have belongs to God. And I stand in the liberty wherein Christ has made me free. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and wickedness that is in high places. I reject what is not my fight and I receive what is my fight. My praise is my fight. My faith is my fight. My focus is my fight. My discipline is my fight. My homework is my fight. Getting clarity is my fight. And I'm going to fight until God gives me the victory. I'm going to fight until I see the promises of God. I'm going to fight until he gives me deliverance. I'm done. I'm way out of time. Everybody stand. Everybody stand. I'm out of time. I'll see you at 1030. Maybe they'll give me a chance to do this some more. But can I tell you let me tell you and we're going that what is amazing is the Bible says that they set up the army anyway why because faith don't exclude preparation it just means I'm prepared and then I stand still <laughs> prepared I've read I've studied I did my homework I applied for the job I apologized I forgave myself I started over I went to prayer I went to the altar I sowed a seed and now that I'm prepared I've understood that that was my fight now how it's gonna work out that's all up to God and the Bible says that Jehoshaphat said since we know it's not our fight then let's just be who we are 
Oh, I'm out of time. I hate this. He said, since we already know it in our fight, then let's just be us. And let's sing the praises and let's do what we do, baby. I just came to ask if Crusade was still a praise and worship church. I thought my pastor raised us to be a praise and worship church. I thought my pastor taught us that no matter what happens, we will give God the praise. So will you do me a favor and act a fool for a few minutes? If you know that the battle is not yours, but it is the Lord's, give God a praise. Well, fam, there you have it. Uh, another word that I hope blessed you and encouraged you. I was going to cut that into two parts, but I was like, let's go ahead and share the whole thing. All of this is good. A couple things I want to make sure that you take away. I want you to take away how important clarity is. I think I have reprioritized clarity in my life in a way that I haven't before. I am in a place where I will have multiple people tell me different things. And it's all based upon, you know, sometimes people's perceptions, sometimes people, their their experiences, sometimes their fears. Right. And so we've got to make sure that we're in a place where we're not just taking bits and pieces from everything without taking time to pause and and be centered and find out God what are you saying? And so protect your clarity at all costs and, and watch the things that you do that could interrupt your clarity. I hope that came through in the message and that you got that. But let me share this, that your fight is this. And I don't know that I articulated this the best in the sermon, but it was definitely in my notes to end this way, that the fight you should focus on is this. One, can you be focused enough to get clarity? Two, can you be disciplined enough to get prepared and then three, can you be faithful enough to praise God in advance? That's your fight. And and I want to focus on that praise and worship of God is not just like, hey, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It is also about how you conduct yourself in a way that honors God, right? Because my biggest sign of faith in him is my obedience to God's word. And so those are the three fights. Can you be focused enough to get clarity? Can you be disciplined enough to be prepared for whatever it is you say that you want or desire? And then three, can you be faithful enough to praise God in advance, to honor God in advance, to serve God in advance? And that also how you treat people is a part of that, too. That's your fight. Everything else you don't control. Again, I hope this has helped you. If it has, please send this to somebody. Shout me out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find me on all those at Princeton Parker. At Facebook, the new page is at Princeton Speaks. Email me at buildingwithprinceton at gmail.com. That's buildingwithprinceton at gmail.com. And I love it, love it, love it when you all shout me out uh, that you're listening to the podcast or that's what's jumped out to you. That gives me so much life and I really appreciate you for doing it. Last but not least, subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast. So much more content. You do not want to miss what's coming out as we celebrate Black History Month. More to come on that soon. So uh, stay tuned. And I thank you so much again for listening. This is Princeton Parker telling you for the rest of 2019, child, fight the right fight. As I say all the time, with God as your foundation and purpose as your motivation, keep building family. 